Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. We are back after what can only be described as an incredibly disappointing week for the New Jersey Devils, but it didn't start off that way as our last episode launched the day of something uh, major for the franchise that we are still optimistic is going to be a good thing in the long run. So to help us break down everything that happened this week in the Garden State, at least from a hockey perspective, I have John Fisher with me. Hello, John. Hello, Dan. Uh, it's been a tough one, but let's start off with the more positive side of things as that Tuesday that we launched our last episode, the Devils announced a major extension for the big deal as he received the big deal. Uh, he extends in New Jersey for another eight years, $64 million. So uh, the Devils bank on potential, as does Hughes himself. Um, and also, you know, it's kind of a strange contract. It's not one you see where a team banks on that much potential. It's something that usually there's a little bit of production either in the regular season or playoffs to go with something like that. But uh, the Devils have seen enough. They're very analytically minded, and they think that eventually this contract will end up being worth it for both sides. So, John, what say you about the big deal's big deal? Well, I was very happy to see the news. It was announced literally the afternoon of Jack Hughes's return to the ice, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And spoiler alert, it didn't go well. But, um, you know, the big trend, what you see across the league is when you look at the big stars like Sidney Crosby, Nathan McKinnon, Jenny Malkin to a degree, that you see these guys playing way above their contracts. Like, you know, well, more, much more value to the point where you have hockey media stands who are otherwise, you know, fairly liberal minded and then turn around and going, they're not getting paid enough. 
Mm-hmm. They need to be paid hundreds of millions of dollars. They need that Ben Simmons money. Uh, that's a name that probably is putting ben a chill Simmons in the spines money. of all, all the Josh Harris and David Blitzers of the world. I was just going to uh, say, very specific name chosen there. Yes. But uh, that being said, um, it's easily the biggest contract on the New Jersey Devils. It's literally just a million dollars uh, more than Dougie Hamilton's $63 million contract. So if you were ever concerned if Harris and Blitzer are spending money on the team, well, here's another piece of evidence that, yes, they are. Isn't um, this still less than Subban? The cap hit is, yes, okay. because it's eight, it's eight by eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also worth noting that Subban's contract was provided after um, – after his uh, ELC year. In fact, Subban is a perfect example of what the Devils avoided in this case. Because mm-hmm. uh, in Subban's case, uh, if you go over quickly to uh, Cap Friendly, after his ELC year, he got signed to a $5.75 million uh, bridge contract for two seasons. And of course, he won the Norris mm-hmm. <laughs> in the middle of that bridge deal. So uh, Montreal paid out the nose as a result, because, hey, he's he's got the Norris trophy. He's one of your top players. So you give him eight by seventy two million dollars. And that is a contract that the Devils and Nashville, to a degree, have paid out handsomely for mm-hmm. uh, as his base salary actually went up to nine million and even ten million dollars. Um, now it's down to two million with a six million dollar bonus. So, I mean, Subban's eating well, Dan. <laughs> he's yeah, yeah. not he's not uh, slumming it in um, Patterson or, you know. Ridgefield Park or Weehawken or even Wayne, like you know, he he he's hanging. He can hang out in um, Alpine. He's got <laughs> Alpine money, Dan. Yeah, yeah. But more seriously, is that uh, that's a situation you want to avoid, where you say, "Ah, you haven't really proven anything yet." You do the bridge deal, and then the guy goes off in such a ridiculous direction that you end up paying through the nose later, and then you're basically paying for past production, which is always something you want to try to avoid. So to a degree, yeah, they're betting on potential, but if you're going to bet on anybody's potential on this team, it's Jack Hughes. Mm -hmm. He's the guy you want to bet the money on. And the fact that he's locked up through his entire twenties, you're going to get the best years out of Jack Hughes. You're going to, you have secured that whatever Jack Hughes is going to give to this game of hockey, he's going to do the best majority of the good stuff as a New Jersey devil. So credit to, um, the devil's for getting it done rather than waiting to see if he's going to go off in the final uh, 62 or so games of his season and credit to Jack Hughes and his agent for being willing to make this happen. Cause I could have foreseen the agent saying, no, 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 let's see if you're going to have that breakout year first and then we'll talk money. Yeah. And it's something that uh, it's interesting. A lot of Jack Hughes is a very difficult player to make comparisons for just because of the tr- weird trajectory of Uh, his career so far where the advanced numbers are very elite and the counting stats are not at all. The the numbers just haven't reached that because of, you know, one thing or another shooting percentages in general as a whole that the devils have had in his time in New Jersey have been abysmal. So you'd think with some players that can put the puck in the net, the production should go up, but we'll see how that happens for him, um, you know, throughout the rest of this season and moving on because he's here for a while now. And that's, yeah that's a good feeling. And we thought, you know, that day they announced the contract. He's back in the lineup. Apparently he's been ready for a while. Everyone's feeling hyped up and uh, it did not go well for the devils. In fact, they have not won a game since his return to the lineup and in no No. small part, because um, for a couple of, well, for a lot of moments in that time, he's been playing not in his natural center position. It's been something that they've tried to ease him back in, not have him take face-offs because, 
I don't know, for the sake of preserving the shoulder, maybe, but uh, it is not working. It's not no. going well. No. And yeah, they lined him up at wing for the game in against San Jose to end the month and the game in Minnesota, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Cause if you watch hockey these days, it, this isn't, you know, like those uh, tabletop games where everybody's on a, on a line per se, you know, they only go up and down in some area, uh, you know, forwards. If you look at coaching, uh, drills, they don't call them left wing center or right wing. They just say forward one, forward two, forward three. Once the faceoff happens, we forget about position and people will flow wherever needed. So it wasn't like Jack Hughes was not coming down the middle of the ice. And it wasn't like he wasn't going into the quote unquote dirty areas to make things happen. Um, but it was, it was a bizarre move and it didn't work out. It didn't, it didn't work out for Jack Hughes. It didn't work out for Nico Heischer on night one, and it didn't work out for Dawson Mercer in night two. So, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things that I think the devil's over the coaching staff overthought themselves into. And, mm. you know, I don't want to blame Jack Hughes or give him a lot of guff. I know he just signed the big extension and he is the big deal, but the guy coming back from injury is not the guy you point the finger at for the last mm-hmm. three losses yeah. that we're about to discuss. I do want to make one other side point about Jack Hughes's contract before we go into those games, partially to delay talking about those games because <laughs> they were about as fun as, you know, getting punched in the face to watch. Uh, if you're concerned about the cap hit being, you know, $8 million, I got some bad news for you. That's kind of the going rate for a player of Jack Hughes's um, caliber, even with the counting stat stand, because a good comparable is Brady Kachuk. And mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, by the people who don't like Jack Hughes or make snide comments about him, they prefer a guy like Brady Kachuk because he's big, Dan. He's tough. He's a real man, Dan. You know, he's gritty. You know, he has a bizarrely annoying 8.205 cap hit for the mm-hmm. next seven years. And this is a guy who's never topped more than 45 points, which was his rookie season counting numbers total. Yeah. He put up 36 points in the 56 game season. So maybe he could have surpassed that, but this is a guy who's never scored more than 22 goals in a season. And he got this fat contract. So if you're looking at Jack Hughes's or even Nico, Heischer's counting numbers and going, ah, that they're not producing enough for that type of money. I got some bad news for you, everybody. There are guys who are producing around that same area, making more on average uh, than Hughes or Heischer. So welcome to the market, everybody. So even if they're not producing at, you know, the counting sets you'd want to see at that number, even if they start doing that by year three, it's already worth it. You know what I mean? It's something that they're here for a while. It doesn't have to happen right away. Yeah, there is always going to be a sense of when you buy out somebody's RFA years, as they call them, and buy out a couple of their first UFA years, their UFA eligibility years, mm-hmm. you are betting on potential. You're bet you're making a bet that I'm willing to pay more now, so this way they're going to be worth more later, rather than what you see in free agency every summer where guys are getting stupid contracts based on what they did in the past, knowing full well they're not likely going to repeat it ever again in their careers. Right. Anyway, uh, let's talk about these uh, awful games. We've man. reached the inevitability. And I just want to point out, I think the Devils have a total of, what, two wins versus the Western Conference this year? I think they just beat Seattle and they beat San Jose in a shootout. And that was the only two wins they have against any Western Conference team this year. I am quickly checking this, and I, I, I regret to point to the people who – oh, no, they beat Chicago. Oh, they did. Yeah. In game Opening one, they beat Chicago. So that's right. Three, so that's three, three Take grand that, total Dan. wins against the Western <laughs> conference. They have been abysmal against them. It's, it's not just that yes. it's not just the fact that they have three wins. It's that in almost every game against Western conference teams, they have looked atrocious. 
Uh, yeah. They've just been not ready to play these teams. And I, no. maybe some part of that has to do with, um, you know, the fact that they saw certain opponents much more last year, but that still doesn't explain why they cannot get ready for these games. And no. I would say that was the case in all three of these games. It's a complete dud yeah. of a week for the Devils. Yeah, I would argue that the first period against San Jose was their best first period of all of the entire week, which is not mm-hmm. saying much. And it wasn't that bad of a period. The Devils were skating well. The pace of play was good. Yeah, they were down a goal, but this is hockey. Being down a goal is not a cause for concern. Yeah. You know, you're down Especially because we've seen this team come back a, a bunch of times in the third period. But for oh, some yeah. reason, the first periods have been absolutely awful. No. All no, year long, they've yeah. been awful. Yeah. And uh, with the exception of the Sunday game, last Sunday's game against Philadelphia, among mm-hmm. other. Oh, the Florida first period. Or the Florida first period, the Islanders game the week prior to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we're, 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 we, you have to kind of sift through the games to find the rare examples of the, yeah, the fact that we can point well. out specific ones is an indicator. Right. So the problem with the San Jose game, Dan, was really the second period. Yeah. This team literally, I don't know how, like, I want to thank one of the people who mattered, Jesse, um, one of our readers. He invited me to sit in uh, row three in the club section for that mm, game, Dan. Nice. So I got an up-close look in that second period, Dan, <laughs> of the Sharks just bullying the Devils. Ugh. And when I say bully, I'm not talking, oh, you know, they size them up and they hit them hard and they push those little weak-sauce European-style skill players around. You know, I'm a tough guy who's a bit of fan since 82, and that's how hockey still got to be played like they did in 1982. No, 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 no. Um, the, the Sharks bodied them by playing the game of hockey way better than them. Uh-huh. Like they could complete passes. They could, they could complete three passes in a row. The sharks were able to keep pucks in play. The, sh- the sharks were able to make line changes effectively. You know, their players were able to make, um, to expose the devils on their weak side. And this is actually a flaw in their system, Dan, how, how they do business on defense, both on the power penalty kill and both and five on five hockey, where the devils love to overload on the puck side, especially in the corners, try to win those puck battles, which similar to a blitz in football, if you hit it, if you get it in there and force a bad pass or you get to the quarterback, good job. But if you don't get it, you you are at risk of a lot of pain. And three times in that period, the devils, you know, were beaten weak side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, thir- the, the third of the three goals was actually a really amazing pass through two devils, um, through Ty Smith and I want to say Dougie Hamilton even. But the other two, the first two were basically the same type of goal. Devils in the left corner. They don't win the puck. Puck squirts out to a wide open shark to the right of the slot. And, you know, he's got Blackwood beaten dead to rights. And um, ultimately the Devils went down as much as 4 nothing in that game. And amazingly, Dan, the Devils played worse as the period went on. Like mm-hmm. Andreas Johnson turned into a turnover machine. Jesper Brat, who has been amazing all month long, was basically, you know, back to his, you know, the form that he showed when he was a scratch. That one game, like... Ryan Graves had an awful game, Dan. Awful game handling the puck. Yeah. It was Ben Lovejoy-esque. Um, you know, I would go as far as to say that nobody on the Devils looked good in that second period. And again, the only exception I would grant would maybe be to Blackwood because he was hung out to dry so many times and to Jack Hughes because the guy literally played his first game back from a very long injury. So it, it, was, it was bad. It was terrible. And in the third period, you see two goals scored. They're consolation goals. Empty netter, it's a 5-2 loss, and mm-hmm. you're just wondering, well, that stunk. You disappointed the Maven. He he, he actually flew in from Israel uh, to attend this game, Dan. 
So, you know, you disappointed him. You disappointed the many people in the arena. It was a holiday feeling and the devils gave everybody a lump of coal. Yeah. I mean, different holiday, but sure, sure. That works. Yeah. They were, they were celebrating Jewish heritage night on that game. (laughs) I was going to say that's, that's kind of the connection I failed to mention initially. (laughs) And I, but Maven was also working with the hockey news now. So he's also around for business purposes. He didn't show up in a very uh, fetching leopard print scarf with a suit to a random Tuesday night devil sharks game. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, and he was in a box too. That's how you know they prepared for it. He wasn't just hanging out in the crowd randomly one night like Uli Hemer once did in a very ugly looking sweater. Uh, nevertheless, <laughs> well, he, is I am, he is the Maven, and Uli Hemer is just Uli Hemer. <laughs> um, so after that game, Dan, uh, Lindy Ruff <sighs> made a big deal about uh, effort and uh, a lack of will and a lack of uh, execution. And he's not wrong, Dan. Yes. He wasn't wrong. So the Devils did some suicide drills. You know, long practices, hard practices, right? You know, posted on Devil, NewJerseyDevils.com. Uh, it was, you know, good show for the press, shows shows to the people who matter, shows to the media that, that you know, they're not happy about that loss, Dan. They're not happy about that loss. They're working them hard. Things got to change. Things got to be better. So surely, Dan, logic would dictate that they these guys would be fully prepared for their next two games in Minnesota and in Winnipeg as it's a back-to-back. Dan, in your expert opinion, would you say the Devils were adequately prepared for either of these games? Oh, no. The Devils went winless and mini-winny for that road trip because, uh, well, let's start off with the fact that Minnesota and Winnipeg are two good teams. Winnipeg hasn't yes. had the best start for where they are supposed to be, but talent-wise, they are a good team. And Minnesota, yeah. again, they seem to be building on top of what they did last year. They are leading um, their division. Yeah. And they're leading their division. And so... You know, if the Devils lost those games, it's a different thing than how they lost those games in particular, because they were never really in either of those games. No. They ex- well, I don't know. Winnipeg, they were briefly in. Never mind. Games. The Winnipeg game was one of the weirder ones. But let's talk about Minnesota first, because, um, again, it was basically a carbon copy of the San Jose game without the good first period. Correct. Like the Devils came out and. Again, they got bodied. They they could not uh, do anything to Minnesota. Minnesota basically did whatever they wanted. Kirill Kaprizov scored early. Rem Pitlick scored later to make it a two nothing deficit. You know, not even a little over eleven minutes into the game, and um, you know the Devils just didn't really have much of a response. You got a bad power play, of course, performing badly. At least they didn't give up a shorty, Dan. Oh. Um, at least, um, but. You know, Kaprizov scores again in the second early in the second period, and you're down three nothing. And then you see a brief spark from the Devils, where Ryan Graves um, scores his second of the season, uh, literally less than a minute after Kaprizov's second goal of the game to make it three uh, three one. Thomas Tatar uh, finishes the drill from a great feed from Mr. Hamilton to make it three two. And you start thinking, okay, maybe the Devils are going to set things to right. And then Graves lets Dmitry Kulikov. Mm-hmm. Not the fastest man in the world. <laughs> Old Maybe friend. not even, de- definitely not the fastest Dmitry in the league. Dmitry Kulikov got behind Ryan Graves at the crease to pop in a tiny rebound. And it's now four to two. And the dulling pain of Devil's Hockey uh, sets in where the Wild just continue to swarm and make uh, Mr. Blackwood, you know, play out of his mind, despite the fact that he's already given up four goals. And it's all for not because Ryan Hartman would score a fifth goal, you know, just to, you know, ice the game at the end, regardless. But um, to, to, put, to put this in perspective, to, to sum up the entire game in one play, 
Andreas Johnson tried to fight Ryan Hartman. Oh, that was so weird. And Andreas Keep Johnson it. did not know the rules of fighting because no. they have changed since his last fight, which was never maybe because yeah. he immediately took off his helmet and got an unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah. Probably. Hartman even stopped and like extended his hand out. Almost like, like, what, what's this guy go, doing? <laughs> like the shake his hand is like, thanks for the free unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which he mm-hmm. got like the yep. devils went on the penalty kill as a result of it. I mean, the only positive between this for this game, I guess you could say is that the devil's penalty kill was perfect, but you know, you're almost grasping at straws for, um, you know, silver linings here. And, you know, I don't work for MSG. You don't work for MSG. I don't work for the devils. You don't work for the devils. So pulling, reaching for silver linings, isn't exactly, uh, you know, what I want to do for this game. This was just a terrible game. And it's surprising to me, Dan, because last the, the week prior um, on, on Thanksgiving Eve, the devils hosted Minnesota outplayed them put up a ton of shots on them, hit the post four times. They could have won the game. They lost it in a shootout. So it's mystifying to me that all you did was just play the game in Minnesota. Yeah, you don't get the last change. Yeah, you're on the road. But how do you, you know, it's not like the rosters changed that dramatically, Dad. It's not like, uh, yeah, you know, the Devils had Jack Hughes. Minnesota got uh, Matt Zuccarello Austin back. Yes, I still remember the Austin part of his last name that they took away from him. Maybe he doesn't want it anymore. So if that's the case, I apologize to Mr. Zuccarello. But nevertheless, it shouldn't have been this decisive. It shouldn't have been this much of a beatdown. And while the outstanding, the outlying numbers don't look so terrible, the run of play just showed that the Devils were just playing catch up from the very first shift. And as such, they took another decisive 5-2 loss. I don't know. The, the special teams still bug me because the penalty kill has been a lot better. Um, the penalty kill has been actually really, 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 really good. But that I don't know what it's going to take because they had power play opportunities in this game, too. And they just they had nothing. They could muster nothing. Right. And it's so and they, disappointing. And they, and they didn't muster enough at five on five. So, well, that's the problem, too. What's troubling about these is that, you know, usually when we have the run of results that we're used to these last couple of years, at least there are games where the process was good and it was, you know, some some breaks didn't go their way. But we can look at that and say, okay, at five on five, they did a lot better. The defense was still pretty stout and they just got unlucky on a few things, couldn't finish. That's the story as old as time. But uh, it looks like, you know, especially Ryan Graves has had a real rough run this week because maybe he's not used to the minutes he's getting. He, he's not had this big a role on some of the other teams he's played on and it's, it's something that's catching up to him perhaps. I don't know because he has not been sharp at all. No, and, and, and it, it's one of the big problems that we've seen all season um, as you know, we're recording this on Sunday. On Monday is the big month in review for November. And you'll see that the numbers for five on five, you know, defensively got a lot worse in November. So it's not, this is not a recent phenomenon. This is not just, they were bad on defense in San Jose and bad on defense against Minnesota and bad on defense against Winnipeg. Don't get me wrong. They were, but I'm saying the warning signs, the issues were starting to happen throughout all of November. And I I think you have a point that maybe, it's not so much Graves alone is getting uh, exposed a bit, but it's also, you know, if Siegenthaler has a bad night, that's bad news. Ty mm-hmm. Smith has been absolutely struggling all season long. Damon Severson is bizarrely good on the penalty kill, but not so good at five on five. Of course, he's also playing a lot with Smith, who, again, if he's struggling, then, you know, Severson can only do so much. And Subban runs hot and cold. He's had some really, really good nights, and then he's had other nights 
where his most big his biggest contribution is slew footing a guy, which Lindy Ruff apparently said that was unacceptable, and yet the guy keeps doing it. So I don't I think Lindy Ruff. I think I think Lindy Ruff thinks it's somewhat unacceptable since it keeps happening. But why why does he keep? I I don't. I mean, I kind of have an idea of why he keeps doing because he can't really catch up to people anymore. But my God, it just it happened again in the Winnipeg game. I'm surprised uh-huh. it wasn't called. Uh, the yeah. Winnipeg game was a completely defense optional game. It seems. Um, where the devil the most part, yeah. the option for more of the game off uh, yes. everything that went towards their net went into their net. Uh, not only were they bad defensively, but Bernier could not stop a beach ball that game. No, there were this... some inexcusable goals from him. Yeah. I mean, it's been pointed out that if the San Jose and the Minnesota game showed flaws with the system, this was a game where the, this was legitimately more of an issue of like just effort and guys just not even doing fundamental things on defense, like not sticking with your men, not picking up open men, um, not lifting sticks, you know, not, you know, respecting gap control, like things that a coach can only do so much. Now I have a lot of bad things to say about the coaching staff <laughs> based mm-hmm. on these three games and what I'm seeing from the results of uh, November as a whole. Um, and of course we have a lot of bad things to say about the power play. We will continue to do so, but this was a game where you can't really say the coaching alone caused this massive loss in Winnipeg. This was just a game where the devils just, um, they just sucked. Like they Mm -hmm. didn't do their jobs very well. And Winnipeg, you know, less than eight minutes into the game, they're up three, nothing like Shifley, Ehlers, Veselainen, like, and even amid all of that, it's not like the devils ran back and like put up some good shots on Connor Hellebuck. It, you know, it was just all Winnipeg hockey. <laughs> like Winnipeg was like, okay, we're just going to, we're, you're, this is what you're going to give us. We're now going to pound you in the face. And it, 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 this is when things got weird. It was three unanswered goals from Winnipeg to start the game. Then mm-hmm. four unanswered back from New Jersey and then five unanswered the other way for Winnipeg again. Yeah. I don't started, really understand how you have that level of momentum swing in the game. It's like right. the devils and were almost surprised that they were in it. Yeah. And what's even more surprising is that how it started. It started with a power play goal, Dan. Yes. Their first since November 14th. Oh my God. And this was actually a, you know, a, a goal from their formation. That power play goal on November 14th was just Dougie Hamilton crossing the uh, blue line and saying, I'm just going to wing a shot past Alexander Georgiev and, Surprise, surprise, it worked. Um, but this play involved Thomas Chatar uh, covered by two men, forcing a pass cross-ice to Damon Severson through two jets, and Severson then collecting the puck and tucking it in just inside the far post. So it was a power play goal. I don't think you can repeat that type of play. No. Because, <laughs> again, you know they did make note on the broadcast that the Jets did have the least successful penalty kill in the league. Mm-hmm. Not that the Devils' power play was going to threaten them very much, but they got their one opportunity to at least break their um, goalish streak for several games, several weeks. So credit to that. And then late in the period, Jack Hughes, you know, crashes the net. Mm-hmm. So all the complaints about he's too small and he's not good enough, uh, you know, to crash net, you got to be a big man like Brady Kachuk, a real young man, Dan. Well, Jack Hughes went to the net and finished the drill to make it 3-2. Less than a minute into the second period, Nico Heischer finishes the drill from a feed from Jesper Bratt. And then Ryan Graves gets a, a fortunate deflection, if I'm not mistaken, into the net, you know, two yeah, shifts they thought later. The t- they thought Tatar might have gotten a stick on it and knocked it down, yeah. but... 
end up being Graves' goal. And the Devils are up 4-3 at this point. Yeah, you you think, wow, what a miracle that they've managed to come back in this game. Four goals in Winnipeg's building against Connor Hellebuck, one of the best goaltenders in the league, a guy who has not given up more than two goals in 11 of his last 12 games. Mm -hmm. Like, getting four goals against Connor Hellebuck is, all right, guys, this is in our favor. Let's lock it down. Did the Devils lock it down, Dan? They did not lock it down. They opened no. it up, if anything. They, 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 going back to the optional uh, theme, it's, it's as if the Devils just went, all right, we're winning now. Screw the defense. Let's just uh, get out there and, you know, skate about. Let's just try. And I know Ken Danico on the broadcast made a meal out of, you know, Pavel Zaka hitting the post and how that was a big turn- turning point. No, the big turning point was that the Devils just lost their minds and, in terms of covering guys and just played lazy, lazy, lazy hockey. Whether or not Zaka made, scored then wouldn't have changed the Jets from scoring as much as they did afterwards because Ehlers continued to eat the Devils' lunch. Josh Morrissey got on the board to take the lead for Winnipeg. That would ultimately be your game-winning goal. Shifley scored his second on a power late power play. Um, no thanks to Michael McLeod, who had an awful week. Awful week, Dan. Yeah, he uh, was, took a uh, really bad, really bad penalty at yeah, it was at this point in the second period, it was noted that, you know, Michael McLeod had more minutes at five on five than Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer, which mm-hmm. um, I think is both bad coaching and at the same time speaks to how McLeod is getting picked on. Because if you're taking that many extra minutes, it's probably because you can't get off the ice. And case in point, he took a penalty. Shifley made them pay. And then in the third period, Shifley completed his hat trick. Adam Lar, you know, at this point, Blackwood is in the net now. Um, the, the, you know, a move that maybe should have been made earlier. Um, Shifley finishes an odd man rush. Adam Lowry, you know, tax on another, um, odd man rush of sorts, a makeshift one. And it's eight to four, Dan. And the devils, uh, in their last, I think Winnipeg is eight, oh, and one against the devils in the last nine games, which yeah. is not cool. No. Um, it is, <sighs> I don't know it why they're decidedly they have such, not cool. <laughs> I don't know why they have such difficulty with this team specifically, but it it does feel like every time they play Winnipeg, there's no chance they're going to win. And that's been the case for and years. And not only that, not only that, Dan, but Winnipeg went into this game struggling. You know, yep. the, the talk was like, oh, Shifley hasn't scored too many. He only had two goals this season. Well, the dude got a hat trick. Yeah, there's nothing that <laughs> you can know? get you right like playing against the Devils. You know, and again, you know, it's not like the Devils, you know, put themselves in this position to lose. This wasn't like the Nashville game last week or the San Jose or the Minnesota games we just talked about where the Devils, you know, just weren't good enough and, you know, never really gave themselves much of a chance in the game. They not only tied it up, but they took a lead and scored four straight against Connor freaking Hellebuck. Mm -hmm. And the Devils did everything they could to basically squander the game. And did so. And it's at this point, Dan, it has been noted by several devil fans, some of the more negative people among the people who matter, but the negative people have a point here, Dan, is that over the last 10 seasons, Dan, 22 games into the season, Dan, mm-hmm. the devils have only had more than 30 points once. Mm-hmm. And they only had a positive goal differential once. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2017-18 when they made the playoffs. All other seasons, you can make a case that, oh, the Devils were in the mix and, you know, they were just, you know, they just needed a couple extra wins here and there. 
you know, just like right now, if the Devils get a couple wins, they could zoom past uh, an also struggling Columbus, Pittsburgh, and continue to surpass uh, an also struggling Philadelphia. Minus the Rangers, it's been a weirdly bad week for the Metropolitan. Generally. Yeah, Washington, Washington and the Rangers were the only team to have, quote unquote, won their weeks. Even Carolina had a swoon. Uh, they were actually a game away from losing their entire week. And that's Carolina did. And we complain, but, but the Islanders are on a 10-game losing streak. It's, it's Oh, yeah, certainly. Not yeah. great. Yeah, exactly. They, they literally could go a month. If they do not win tonight, they will be a month since their last game. Wow. Uh, their last win, I should say. But the point is, is that, you know, as much as we love to sit here and say, you know, oh, the Devils, they were staying afoot because they didn't have Jack Hughes. And, you know, they got Dougie Hamilton. Dawson Mercer has emerged. Jesse Bratt's having a hot season. Andreas Johnson's having a hot season. Nico Heischer, he may not have as many points as you'd like, but he's doing a lot of great things in the run of play. His five-on-five numbers are absolutely excellent. Same with Tatars, who's now scoring goals, by the way. He's maybe one of the few bright spots of these last three games is that Tatar has found the net mm-hmm. or at least found the score sheet. But nevertheless, Dan, the Devils are still looking at being outside of the playoffs for a 10th straight season, you know, nine for a ninth, nine out of their last 10 seasons. Yeah. It's like after all the money that Josh Harris and David Blitzer have laid out, all the moves that we that they've made that you and I have praised Tom Fitzgerald for, or we say we appreciate like whether they're big deals, like the big extension for Jack Hughes or minor deals, like bringing in uh, Nathan Bastion and off of waivers or giving Dawson Mercer a chance with the coaching staff. Um, you know, it's like, what's it going to take to get this team over the damn hump? People are getting understandably impatient and frustrated that, you know, when is this damn rebuild going to (laughs) end? You know, it can't continue on. And I got to be honest with you, Dan, with these last, you know, if we were just talking about after the San Jose game, my, my, my feeling would just be say what you want. This is the best, you know, the devils have looked since 2017, 18. But the last two losses have pretty much undercut that dramatically. And, you know, I'm just left left here sitting here going, something's got to give here. I don't know what, Dan, but something's got to change because whatever we're seeing right now, it ain't it. Well, from a process perspective, we'd say, you know, they've, they've won, quote unquote, the offseason the last couple of years. And from a process perspective, we thought the Rangers were being re- uh, reactionary with their moves and bringing in the tough, gritty guys. But at the end of the day, Given the trajectories of the teams, it seems clear that the obvious difference is coaching. It's one Gerard Gallant versus Ruff and his staff. And I don't, you know, it's not Ruff exclusively. I think for the most part, we can look at, I don't know, Nazardine Recchi to really figure out where the Devils could have possibly lost some points here. But at the end of the day, the staff as a whole is not getting them ready to play enough no. times out and of the week. And that's, and I'm glad you said that, Dan, because yes, after, even though I just said the Winnipeg loss, like a lot of those goals against were not a really a failure of system, but again, the fact that the devils were just not prepared to play. And when, when you see that for three games in a row where they're just not giving a damn, and this is after, you know, a Nashville game where they said the same thing, where they also laid an egg, um, you have to really start questioning like the preparation process. You know, it's great that you're doing suicide drills after a bad loss. Cool. But it doesn't mean anything if the guys are just going to come out and get, get their ass beat, you know, within the first five minutes of the game, even if they don't give up a goal, you can just look, watch the game and just go, this is going to be a long night. And that was the case in Minnesota. 
And with Winnipeg, it was absolutely the case because they scored twice in the first five minutes. They scored three times in the first 10, John. Yeah, exactly. Like at this point, like I understand the coaches aren't the ones on the ice to do the basic things there. But if the players who are professionals, they've been doing this for several years, you know, if they're not getting the job done, you got to question the motivations. You got to question how they're preparing themselves to get ready for these games. You got to question the lack of adjustments. You know, we've seen lots of different line changes. We've seen lots of different personnel changes on special teams, but the power play is still running that stupid one, three, one. That's not working. We've seen a change on the penalty kill formation, which actually has been very helpful for them. So it begs the question why we don't see other changes at five on five or on the power play from a tactical standpoint. But again, it points to, you know, preparation is the bigger short-term issue. And, um, you know, yeah, the five on five numbers over the whole season still aren't that bad. In some ways, they're pretty good in some in some regards. But November saw the Devils defense just giving up a lot of shooting attempts, a lot of shots on it, a lot of scoring chances and, a you know, fairly high XGA expected goals against rate uh, much higher than they were in October. And that just can't be explained by simply just playing some more road games and more games in general. Like the team is just not prepared to play and they're not prepared to do the work that they need to do off the puck. And the fact that it continues to happen, we saw it for three straight games for the most part really points to the fact that the coaching staff is just, you know, they're just not getting it done. And to the people blaming the, uh, the captain here, it is not his job to prepare everyone for the game. It is his job to help do that, but his job is mainly to play hockey. And so the coach's job is to prepare people for the game. It's to give strategy that actually, adapts to what is working and what isn't and that doesn't seem to be happening quickly enough in fact the adaptations have been bizarre if anything but at least they moved Hughes finally off the wing and again the devils are getting a gut check here because these next five games are very winnable these next five games are a stretch where the devils could seriously turn around gain some momentum start banking some points get back into the swing of uh, winning hockey because again the the Minnesota Winnipeg road trip was bad but also those are two good teams yes. the the stretch coming up is not the case no it's it's I want to caution by saying it's favorable but you do have to be careful because that first opponent Ottawa one of the worst teams in hockey are coming off a win over Carolina and mm-hmm. an overtime win over Colorado so you know if you doubt Ottawa you know, you're, you're in for a long night, but that's pretty much a must win at this point. Mm-hmm. And then on Wednesday, Wednesday night, the devils will host Philadelphia again. The devils took Philadelphia to school last Sunday, Dan. So Philadelphia is in a slump of their own. Um, so it's imperative that the devils get two points out of that game too. If only to just keep stay ahead of the flyers, which they have been doing thanks to the flyers losing. Mm-hmm. And then you got a back-to-back set, which is a little trickier, but you get home game against Nashville that's more favorable than road game in Nashville. You get the Islanders in the UBS arena, whom as of this recording have yet to win a game. Um, I like to think that they'll win a game by then. I don't want to go into that one, knowing that the Islanders are winless in like 14 and, you know, they're yeah. going up against a shaky devil's team and you start getting your, the doubt starting to plant in your head going, Oh no, not tonight, not tonight, yep. to not yep. tonight. In a way, I almost want the Islanders to win that uh, they're playing Chicago. I want to say tonight. And, um, you know, just just get that out of the way. So this way the Devils don't have to be, worry about being the team that loses to the slumpiest team in the league right now. And yes, slumpiest is a word. Sure. And then after that game, the Devils will play in Philadelphia on the 14th. That's another huge divisional matchup 
game where the Devils could help themselves by beating down and keeping down Philadelphia. But you're absolutely right, Dan. Like if the Devils are going to, you know, get back into the playoff picture, they've been helped in a sense that Columbus has went winless this past week as well. Pittsburgh has just won one game um, and, and they lost in a shootout to Calgary. Um, you know, there hasn't been a ton of movement within the division. Like the Devils, if they could just win a couple games here and there, they're legitimately back in the wild card race. But if they don't do well in these next five games, you know, there's a there's a better than zero chance that it's going to be the same story that we've been talking about the last three seasons, which is it's New Year's Day and the Devils are effectively out of the playoffs, which mm-hmm. is depressing considering, as you said, the offseason moves are great. Dougie Hamilton is legitimately a number one defenseman. You know, Blackwood and Bernier actually played well in November for all for all intents and purposes. Um, you know, Dawson Mercer, his line with Brett and Johnson has been fantastic. Keisha has been doing a lot of good things. So it's not as if the Devils have nothing going for them, but the Devils have a whole bunch of issues with their depth not performing up to a, a competitive standard. Special teams penalty kills getting better. So I'll say that, but power play has continued to be abysmal and a hindrance. You're failing at the shootout and your, your lack of motivation and preparation for games is literally costing you points. You know, imagine if the devils didn't give up the first three, two or three goals in a game, Dan, maybe they would have won a couple, won a couple extra games. And we're feeling a lot more confident about their prospects going into these next five games. Yeah. They're chasing the play for the most part. So hopefully they can stop chasing and actually play from a position of strength here. Um, as they go into that stretch that you just mentioned, it's something that you look at those games and you say, okay, playoff teams, teams who are playoff caliber win a majority of the games in a stretch like that. It's something that, yeah, you can have a fluky one in those five, but at the end of the day, you have to take at least three of those games. It's something that yeah. if you have aspirations to make the playoffs, you're facing opponents like that, facing opponents who are trending the way that the um, this set of opponents is, you have to perform here. This is where the Devils really figure out what kind of team they're going to be this year. And so hopefully they're able to perform. They're able to get back on the uh, winning side of things because they only have two wins in their last 10 games. So yeah, not a way to um, aspire to the playoffs, if anything. But we'll see what happens as they continue on and uh, face some of these, um, I'll say more vulnerable opponents, but nothing's easy in today's NHL. No, nothing is. But you do raise a good point, Dan, that outside of Nashville, those are four, I'm sorry, three of the teams, because of course they play Philly twice. They're not playoff teams right now. And there's a very good chance, not a very good chance. There's almost a hundred percent chance that Ottawa and the Islanders are not playoff teams Mm -hmm. given where they are in the standings. And Philly is almost in, in a spot to join them if they don't get their act together. So again, you hope that the devils aren't the reason how they get their act together. So you're absolutely right, Dan. If the devils are going to show that they are going to play competitive games in March, notice I didn't say playoffs, just competitive games in March. Yep, yep. You got to get some W's out of this. You got to get some points out of this, you know, Carolina or Washington or our hated rivals, they can go into a stretch of five games like this and lose like three or four of them because they've banked enough points that, you know, they, they can afford that. The Devils are not in a position to do that. So well, those are also teams that are pressure. more experienced with winning continuously. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem. They're, they're higher in the standings for a reason, but, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Well, all right. Let's see how they perform. Let's see if they're able to bounce back from what was uh, their toughest week of the season so far. And um, hopefully they're able to turn things around and start bringing back some of the good vibes that the Jack Hughes signing brought around the organization so with he that, scored yeah he did <laughs> score 
so with that being said, thank you again for joining us. We hope that we're able to um, present a better week for the team in our next episode. But until then, keep watching and let's go Devils. Go Devils. Devils.